Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Empire. Play Fantasy Spaceball Show with D. Mindy. Little Cheesecake and Doc starts now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome in to episode of the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show, a proud member of Empire Media and the Empire Media Podcast Network. D. Mindy here, joined by a man who lives by who lives his life by four letters. That's V O L O. It's Eric Mendelson, a.k.a. The Doc. What's going on? <laughs> you know, that spells Volo, and some people make songs about Volo, and they're not me, but they're on this podcast, so that can only be one person. Yeah, maybe they'll, uh, they'll never hear it, but it's funny because people won't ever get to see this. It's not on YouTube, and they can't see on the podcast your face that you just gave me when I read that, which is freaking hilarious. But, you like, know, what people really can see is I do have the video of David singing it on my phone. So if you really want it, send me a DM on Twitter and I'll make sure I send it to you. I don't think anybody's sending you a DM on Twitter. I don't think I hope one that. person I hope one person does. So that way I can ruin your reputation. I think more people will be impressed with my creativity, if I'm being honest. But I oh, people you know, already know your people already know you're creative, David. That's a given. I don't <laughs> give out compliments like that to you, but you are a creative guy. But this is just embarrassing. People just need to know that you run Volo, that you are a Volo man. You are taken because <laughs> you're married to Volo. I'm married to the game. You're married to Volo. You're married to the game. You're married to repping and being uh, being there for Todd, being there for the entire Volo crew when you guys do your nights out. It's it's cute. Okay. Anyway, people don't hate, care about you and your relationship. I hate, I hate you, David. <laughs> with Volo. We are here to talk about uh, a very important subject today, and that important subject is our victory laps and losses. So now that the 2021 season is officially in the books, the regular season anyway, we can now sit back in our easy chairs, put our feet up, and we can decide, hey, were we right on these guys? Were we wrong on these guys? Can we take our victory laps like Forrest Gump, maybe huff and puff a little bit, or are we going to take our L's, admit where we were wrong? And be kind of like a doc in a sense to get a lot of these decisions uh, not too right here. So it's going to be a lot of good discussion and a lot of hindsight analysis here. But obviously, we can kind of look at our processes and look at our decision making and kind of assess kind of where, where things went right, where things went wrong with our player analysis with these particular individuals. And of course, we need a big gun in here without Mr. Cheesecake on this episode. So we brought in Mr. Scott Chu who is one of the best analysts in the game, so make sure you stay tuned for that. After we go to our bullpen for our question of the week, if you played in the big leagues, what would be your three-pitch mix? And our week, our game of the week coming in to shut the door. So if you guys are ready to get another episode started, then man, we're here to do it for you. Let's do it! 
That was weak, David. That was weak sauce. Volo, Eric does not approve. <laughs> Some days the, the let's do it doesn't come out of me like I wanted to. Uh, some news and notes here. Red Sox took down the Yankees in the first wildcard game 6-2. to two. The Dodgers won on a walk-off 3-1. to one. So both wildcard teams have been set. Dodgers are now set to face the San Francisco Giants. And the Red Sox are now set to face who, Doc? The Rays. There you go. Rivalries. We got. We love the rivalries. It's these division rivalries start off the divisional round, which is great stuff. Doc, do you? Uh, I believe wasn't the Blue Jays one of your picks? Oh yeah, they, they were my uh, pick to come out of the AL, and, and now I lost ten dollars because they're not making it to the World Series. But I swear, had they gotten in the playoffs, they would have <laughs> made it to the World Series. I believe you on that. They, I was really uh, annoyed when they couldn't get in. Obviously, they won, but the Red Sox and Yankees won, and the Red Sox won. The, uh, they were down five to one to the Nationals on the last day of the season. Swear the, the Nationals through that game. They, they had to because it was ridiculous. Like I was like, are oh, we going to have a playoff between the Blue Jays and, and Red Sox? And everybody would have loved to see that. It didn't happen. Very disappointed. Let's talk about the San Diego Padres who are now apparently focusing in on Marcus Stroman as part of a uh, preliminary discussion as a target this offseason. They also, in the meantime, have fired their manager, Chase Tingler. The former skipper was offered a chance to stay with the organization in another role, but he went 116 and 106 in two years with the organization. Doc, do you think Stroman with the uh, Padres would be a good move, or do you think that it's one of those guys, they bring him in there, maybe he's not quite what you hope he would be, and they should go the younger route. I mean, I think he he's going to be an upgrade, but they already have a good rotation. Like, you know, Chris Paddock is maybe a four or five. Blake Snell, you hope, is better. Mike Clevenger should be coming back from Tommy John surgery. So if you're looking for pitching, I mean, they traded for him last season knowing that he was probably going to be out this year. I'm not as big on Stroman. He relies a little too much on ground balls, and I don't like depending on that year to year. I'd much rather do an in-season trade if – Things aren't going well to begin the year, but if you can get them for cheap in the offseason and the Mets are willing to deal him, why not? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see with him with a really good offense. I think he wants to stay with the Mets, but we'll see how that plays out. The Colorado Rockies announced that they've signed a five-year contract extension with right-hander Antonio Senzatella, guaranteed $50.5 million in a club option for the 2027 season. They're also keeping their first baseman in the fold, announcing they've re-signed C.J. Grone to a two-year pack $14.5 million. C.J. Crone, by signing there, I think now kind of creeps into the top 10 first baseman for next year down he's staying in Colorado. So I do like that move for him. I don't think I would have offered Sanzatella that much money in that many years. Obviously, he looked better. This was the best year of his career. But he is not somebody that I'm super impressed with. Uh, Doc, you shaking your head as well. So it doesn't seem like you are either. Yeah, I mean, I just don't get the Rockies. Like, you trade away your best players and then you decide to sign Senzatella to an extension, a guy that two years ago had a 6.71 ERA and is going to be in cores. Like, I feel like you would build around hitting. I don't know. I Everybody thought Trevor's story was going to be gone at the All-Star break and they ended up keeping him. Like, why train Nolan Arenado then? Like, if you're not selling the farm, why did you get rid of your best player? I just don't get it. Nolan Arenado for Austin Gomber. <laughs> Pretty fair deal. Yeah, that's a freaking joke. Oh, Nolan Arenado and $50 million for Austin Gobbert. Don't, don't forget the money. Yeah. 
What a joke. Honestly, I'm a Rockies fan. I don't know. I, I would have to, I'm, don't think I've ever switched teams. And, you know, I've been very loyal to the teams that I like. But if I was a Rockies fan, I think I would have finally be at the breaking point, especially Trevor Story's probably is not coming back there. He already said he's not coming back. He's not resigning with them. And uh, honestly, it's, I, I don't I, just, I don't know what you're doing if you're a Rockies fan. I, I just stressful. think it's so funny. Like Jeff British isn't the GM anymore, but just like that that philosophy of, oh, I went to Harvard. I must be smart and I know better than you. Like the the school you went to doesn't translate how you do as a general manager. Like sometimes I think we overthink these things that somebody's resume or their educational background is gonna make them good in another position. Like I just don't. Yeah, I don't understand it either. Adam Wainwright, who the Cardinals that were just eliminated in the playoffs in the wild card round, they've announced they're bringing him back for the 2022 season at $17.5 million. So he's going to, maybe this might be his last year, he's going to turn 40 at the end of August next year. And um, obviously this year, to kind of turn back the clock a little bit, 206 and a third innings and a 305 ERA, the fifth best mark he's notched in a full season. Maybe he's trying to go out with Yadi Molina in the in the sunset. He's already announced next year is his last year, uh, but I think that's a great move by the Cardinals. And he really has changed his game, going a lot more off speed than he used to, and it's really worked out well. So I think it's a great move on both sides for a Cardinals legend. Maybe I'll have his number retired by them too, but uh, great move for them. And Max Muncie, who injured his wrist during the uh, last Dodgers game of the season at a collision on first base. He did not play in the wild card game, and right now, unless the Dodgers make a deep run in the postseason, he's not expected to play for them at any point in the near future. Big hit to their lineup, obviously, as Muncie was having one of the best years of his career. And you got to think that if the Dodgers, for some reason, can't get to the World Series, that that would be a big part of why they're not getting there. That's a big bat they're missing in their lineup. Anyway, if you enjoy hearing about Volo City and the Docs Endeavors, and make sure you subscribe to the Triple Play Fantasy Podcast and all the great things going on in the Triple Play Fantasy Network. We've got our football and basketball podcast, along with this baseball one, of course. Also, our shows like the Super Fantasy Bros, Between the Seams with Marty and Mac, and the Tripwire. Of course, if you just check out the YouTube channel by itself, there's shorter content there with Coach's Corners, Fantasy Foodies, Movie Minutes, and much more. And if writing is more your style, you can go to TripPlayFantasy.com for all the great articles from our talented writers. Mr. Marty Tallman, one of the heads of our fantasy baseball department here, actually wrote an article on Randy Arozarena that dropped today, so you can check that out. Of course, make sure you stay in all the know-how by following the social media account at Fantasy on Twitter. When you think about the United States of America, you think about three Bs, big business, big belt buckles, and building fantasy baseball rosters. Now, the amount of arrogance people have for the latter could make non-fantasy baseball players who are tired of hearing this want to move to Atlantis. If you're looking for good, wholesome fantasy content that won't drive your significant other away, look no further than Triple Play Fantasy, and that's no cap. All right, we're going to jump into our victory laps and losses with Scott Chu right after this. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh, heck yeah. Fantasy baseball talk on a Thursday night. It's a nice, cool October night out here. Can't beat that. Yeah, who cares about football? Yeah, it's not like we have it on, on our, in our background on our TV or something like that right now. It's fantasy baseball time, baby. Of course, every Thursday night, you know, we're here. Myself, the doc, the who uh, just came with his uh, from his barber. Nice little fresh haircut for those with the YouTube right there. How uh, are you feeling with the fresh cut? Was there something planned this weekend you wanted to show it off? Or what was the occasion? You know what? Just like the hair was getting too long. My confidence was down. Like when you wake up and or you just your hair is too long. You don't feel good about yourself. How are you feeling on a 10? Are you feeling like a 10 right now? I'm not feeling like a 10, but I'm feeling like an 8, which is good for a Thursday night. There we go. Okay. I like that. Well, we're talking about hair. This guy might have some of the best in the industry, but that might be the least of the things that we're going to talk about with this gentleman. We welcome in a man that is the master of two different types of curling, the mustache and the sport. He's a writer, podcaster, and manager for PitcherList, a baseball podcaster for Fantasy Benefits, and the creator of Fantasy Curling. This twin uses his charm, good looks, and brain to set himself above the ranks among various fantasy baseball personalities everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, we reached out to him and said we want two. It is the mustache himself, Scott Chu. What's going on, man? I mean, I'm doing great. I, I feel bad. The mustache is gone because uh, I owed my wife some favors, and that was the last piece of collateral I had. <laughs> like It was the last thing in my back pocket to be like, I want to do this stuff. And she's like, well, that's got to go. And like, I literally looked for every other negotiating tactic I had. They were all worthless. It was, so the mustache had to go. It was very so wait, sad. So- she doesn't show she's not a fan of the facial hair at all. No, uh, she she likes this thing, whatever you want to call it that I have going on the side <laughs> of my little leprechaun strap here. But uh, the mustache was was not her thing because like, you know, she'd every every once in a while, she'd feel like kissing me and it like got in the way and it made me laugh. She hated it. Oh, so no. what are you what are you doing for November? Are you like getting the Movember mustache? Like, is well, it gone? Good for thing she's facial not- hair gone for a while. Oh, oh no! I'm I'm gonna grow it back. She just doesn't know okay. that yet. And then what's okay. nice about it is it's the gift that keeps on giving because it'll be collateral <laughs> again uh, once it gets long enough, and I can use it as a bargaining chip. See, I like that. I like, I like that. And so it's like resets pretty much after you shave it. You can use it again the next time, every single time that you need uh, to negotiate with her. Yeah, I just need her to be gone for like a couple of days so it can start, and then like. It doesn't grow super fast, so like, as, like she doesn't really notice until it's there. And then she's like, what happened? I was like, I don't know. It's just here now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Speaking of someone whose wife doesn't like when I grow any facial, not that it ever grows to the mustache like you have, but when I let I just shaved, and when it gets like a little scraggly, uh, she has a razor in the bathroom, and she always points to it. She's like, all right, it's time. So I, I totally get that. I love I'm going to start referencing that whenever I see your wife next. There you go. You could do that. Uh, but of course... Facial hair, nice head of hair, all that good stuff. It's plenty of, that's fun to talk about. Before we dive into the fantasy baseball topic at hand, Scott Chu, I got to ask you, I read your fantasy curling article. For those that have not read it, can you explain what fantasy curling is? Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start the story. 
my hometown of Kalamazoo, Michigan hosted the uh, national championships for curling, uh, the U.S. nationals to, you know, choose the team that, you know, best in the country. And had there been Olympics on that year, they would have uh, competed for the Olympics. And uh, I went to it. I had never really seen curling before, except for like everybody's reaction to curling, which is like, oh, yeah, the thing with the brooms. Yeah, that's cool. And like we watch it every Winter Olympics, right? Because it's like. They, they did the math. It's like 70% of the Winter Olympic broadcast coverage is curling because it, it's one of those things that you just have on in the background. It's like that, that little dive bar in your hometown that's always got bowling on somehow. Like that's how curling works during the, uh, the Winter Olympics. So we go there, me and my buddy from work, and we have an awesome time, right? Because the game is like difficult, but ultimately it's kind of simple, right? It's like a mix of like bowling and bocce ball on ice. Right. Like you're trying to get some 40 pound rock to stop at a certain point and you slid it on ice, which is like really hard. But it was really cool to watch. A lot of fun. And I was like, man, there's got to be a fantasy game of this. Right. Like it was February at the time. So I'm like deep in fantasy baseball mode. I'm like, there's got to be a fantasy version of this game. I go and look around on the Internet and all they have is pick them. And hey, I like pick them, but that's not fantasy. Right. Like that's. That's different. That's just like pick them. That's not fantasy. So I was like, we got to find a way to do this. And uh, curling is largely Canadian. So luckily, the curling community is really, really friendly, right? Because it's a bunch of Canadians uh, and some folks from the U.S., lots of clubs in the U.S. But they helped me come up with a DFS style game because with curling, like there's a season, but it's not like they schedule games like they do in baseball or basketball or football or anything like that. It's just a bunch of random tournaments. It's more like golf. So we had a fan, like fantasy curling is DFS style contests. You have a salary cap of 40,000. Um, all the events run men and women's. And it was really important to me that we always have the games include both at the same time. I didn't want there to be this thing of, well, you guys don't cover the women's or you don't cover. No, I didn't want any of that. I wanted them together at the same time because that's how they play. Uh, put them together and you have to pick three men's teams, three women's teams. And you get points for how well they do in each game because it's a tournament. And you also get points in term, uh, for how well they do in the tournament, right? And it's sort of mm-hmm. like the World Cup. There's a pool play, and then they move on to a tournament at the end. So uh, that's how it works. Really, you get to pick teams. I got to uh, I got to know a lot of pro curlers. Uh, one of my favorites, a guy named Colin Hodgson. Um, he's, all, like, he's awesome. He helped me. Uh, he did a podcast with me. Uh, we got nominated for an uh, FSWA award, actually. Uh, best awesome. all sports podcast over at Friends with Fancy Benefits. Um, and that was one of the submissions we did for that. So it was really cool. And it's one of those things, too, where you don't really have to know anything, right? Like a lot of when we when I started it, I, I made this game and I thought I'm going to get like 25 people. Like I'm going to beg Justin Mason. I'm going to beg some folks at Pitcher List and we're just going to do this. And we got 250 people because like Canadian Twitter picked it up a little bit and uh, had all these had all these people. but. It, you don't really have to know anything. You just have to like, you're like, oh, hey, I'm going to pick this team because they're from uh, like, you know, they're from, you know, I'm part Swedish. So I'm going to pick the Swedish team or, you know, I'm in the U.S. I'm going to pick the U.S. teams like uh, my last name is Chu. I'm a quarter Korean. My my grandfather was Korean uh, from Korea. So I picked the Korean team. They didn't do super well. And I'm actually really bad at fantasy curling. It turns out I'll even do the research. <laughs> I'm <just> terrible. <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of fun. And it, again, it's one of those things that you don't really have to know anything. You just pick some teams. And most importantly, above anything else, just like every fantasy sport, another reason to watch the sport, right? That's just right. something else to root for. It's a reason to, you know, you've got two, maybe you've got two teams playing that are probably not going to compete for the championship. Why would you watch that game? 
because you maybe got some, you know, maybe you got some fantasy investment in that game. You've got one of those teams. That was really like the best part for me because I didn't have a lot of rooting interest in curling, right? So I gave myself some. And finally, what's really fun, the pro curlers play. Like they play fantasy curling uh, and they get to pick themselves in the tournament. It's wild. One of them actually won. Like a guy, a guy that was in the event, like a pro curler playing in the tournament, played fantasy curling and won. So we had to turn down the prize because of like some weird. Oh, that's stuff. But it was wild. It, yeah. I mean, I know that's more common in football and stuff, but you never hear about that in other sports. I just thought it was cool. The pioneer, man, you're a pioneer. Honestly, like you hear the the sports that everybody talks about, but fantasy curling, you're you're the man behind it. I would are join gonna, a league for fun. Are, are you going to yeah. be able to draft yourself at some point? Because it sounds like you <laughs> no. play. No, no, that would uh, not only uh, will I never compete at that level. That'd be a terrible idea. Like <laughs> there are not a lot of points in this man's curling, right? Like it's just not where it comes from. And really, the beauty of it is you don't even have to do a league, right? You just can play for the one tournament. They take like six days. Mm-hmm. And and you only you only pick right in the beginning. It's it's sort of like best ball that way. You pick your teams and then you just watch. You don't have to do roster maintenance throughout because it's supposed to be about watching it. You know, I didn't want to have to make people do a lot of stuff. And I'm not a coder, so I had to rely on uh, the good people at Curling Zone, which is sort of the um, fan graphs of curling, uh, who who helped me set up the game and, and got all the stats loaded and everything. So. We're going to have it for the Olympics. So, uh, keep your eyes, keep your eyes open. We're going to have fantasy curling for the Olympics so that you have something to root for while you are half asleep and curling's on TV. I love it. I love it. This, this is more curling talk than I've done in my entire life in the last five plus minutes. So I, I've, I'm here for it when it comes around. I think Doc and I are definitely going to look more into that. The last thing I want to ask you about, because this just popped in my head before we jump into fantasy baseball. And I promise it's coming after this. You are the man behind the analyst cards that you, uh, <laughs> and I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up because the analyst cards are just fantastic. And you were nice enough to make one of me. And I loved it. They, they turned out more incredible than I could imagine. Shout out to Yancey for the, the image that he sent you. Oh, uh, yeah. But how did you get the idea for those? Um, honestly, like I like collecting, collecting baseball cards. In fact, I have a bunch of like loose ones here on my, on my desk that just came in the mail. Like this nice little Tarek Scooble, uh, that I just got. I'm a big Scooble oh, yeah. guy, but, uh, I was just thinking, and I originally, I made one for, uh, my two bosses over at Pitcher List. I made one for Alex Fast and Nick Pollock. Cause I found some like mildly embarrassing old photos of them on the internet. And I was like, oh, well, I got to find a way to embarrass them even further. I can't just post it in our discord. Like that's lame. So I went to tops.com and had, they had a custom card creator and then I made it. And then I about slapped myself in the face because I work regularly with one of the best graphics guys in the game, Justin Paradis. Yeah. And like, what was I doing? So he designed your card. That's why like your card is like this, this top shelf, like fully designed. It's beautiful. And if any of you are it's going, uh, I don't remember. Are you going to uh, first pitch Arizona? I really wanted to, but I wasn't oh. able to go. I can't go either. But if any of you run in to David at any point in real life, uh, you need to ask him for that card. He's got him. He has him. I don't know what he's done with him, but he's got him. I have him over in, in my kitchen. Actually, they're uh, they're sitting in my bowl. I have him like set. I was like, hey, you know what? If I ever need someone, be like, you know what? There's a guy out there named Scott Chu who is a whiz, along with Justin Paredes, who can make an insane card. If you want this. I'm a nobody. If you want this, hit up Scott Chu because he is the freaking man. David, just, you, just... you, know, you know what you should do when you have your first trick or treater? 
Give them that and see their reaction. <laughs> there you go. Make sure that, it's that, autographed in like a silver uh, marker too, like a big fat make, bold point, like silver sharpie, like really gaudy. And, and oh make sure God. you're doing the same pose as in the card. I don't even remember. I've I haven't even done that pose. I think since I did that one picture. It's been a long time, but I mean, it blew me away, honestly, and um, it, it was just fantastic. I, I can't thank you enough for, for picking me. I think you've only done like like four or five of them, right? Yeah, we we had to table it for a little bit because we got busy, but I'm hoping over the winter we can pick it back up. We we got a couple more. We got uh, we got some really nice pictures of Paul Spore from his, uh, from his oh, girlfriend. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. We got yeah. we have uh, we have Danielle Salinger. Um, oh, that's yeah. that's a that's yeah, a we got some right re- we got a really nice pick of her from uh from Justin, and uh, we got a couple others. So we we want to put those together, um and and have some fun with that. Soon enough, it'll be like a full fifty-two card deck, and then you'll sell them as the fifty-two card deck, and people can do uh like drinking games or something with the the fifty-two cards. I mean, that'd be kind of cool, right? Like, yeah, I have all four that have been printed, and I have autographed versions of almost all of them. I don't have Nick's, but uh, I. I Nick and Fast got to keep theirs because they only got each other's card. But I have yours autographed, and I have Justin Mason's autographed. I don't know if you guys saw Justin Mason's, but um, it's oh, in in terms of raw, uh, in terms of raw sex appeal, it's like yours and Justin's are just like this. <laughs> you know, they are close, man. Oh man, it's fantastic! If you ever get a chance, hit up Scott, and ask, if you haven't seen the cards, make sure he. I'm sure you have like pictures of them that you can show them. Uh. You got to see these cards, man. They are just mind-boggling. And if you see, this is if, if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, the man's got them right there, so you can check them out on this channel live streaming right. You got now. like a binder full of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Would you not? Right. Oh yeah. Oh, look at that. Gosh, that's beautiful. that's fantastic. Uh, oh, David, I never say this, but you're sexy. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, but Justin. I mean, this this is a close second. This oh, guy that, right here. Oh uh, that, over, that overtakes Jace. That overtakes Justin. David. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was beautiful, and it's got that it's got that great roto wear, uh, like in the top corner. It's that like s- that dumb Justin face as like where the team logo would be. My camera won't focus on it, but it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and I have I have Nick's and Alex too. But I, I won't waste I won't use more of your time just showing you my my personal collection of cards. Most of these are baseball players, but I had to have those. This, this might be a record that almost fifteen minutes into the segment, we haven't talked to any baseball yet. That, that's fine. You know what? I'm here for it because it's, <laughs> technically it's the playoffs off season as far as fantasy is concerned. So it's it's good to get a little weird, a little fun. We will dive in now. We're gonna have to look back because, fellas, we're talking victory laps and losses. So. As many of you know, many like to take their victory laps, maybe a week or two in the season. Someone hits a couple of home runs or someone pitches a shutout and everybody's already counting their winnings before it even happens. So now that the season's finally over, we can sit back and actually reflect which players we got right, which players we got wrong. Was our processes incorrect or did it just it not turn out as we expected? So there's going to be a lot we can kind of break down now that we can kind of sit back and look at everything as it went down in the full 162. So, starting off with our guest, Mr. Scott Chu. Let's let's be positive first. Let's talk our victory laps now that we can do them. This is permission for you to go all four scump right now. Who did you talk about in the off season that ended up delivering this season? I'm actually going to talk about two guys at the same time because uh me and some of my colleagues uh Steve Jasili is one um and uh Ben was the other, and we made this thing called math, right? Which is mechanical adjustments 
Um, and I can't even remember what the acronym was, but we basically made this big tracker of all the offseason changes. Every time a news article came out about guy tweaked his swing, guy lost weight, guy, uh, you know, looked at, you know, looked at tape and changed something or changed his stance, whatever. Um, we logged them and some of them really stood out. The two that stood out to me that I made sure I uh, invested in, in drafts. Number one was Avi Garcia. Avi Garcia lost like a ton of weight in the off season. It's worth noting that last, that in 2020, he was the starting center fielder for the Brewers. He weighed 280 pounds. Was he, he was that six heavy? Four, he was Jeez. six foot four, 280 pounds. That's Frank Thomas. He was Frank Thomas, but playing center field. That's nuts. I had yeah. no idea he was that big. Yeah, what? It's wild. And if you look at the pictures, you start to notice that he's like he was enormous. Not like not like super chubby or anything. He's just so big. He's like football lineman big, right? So. He loses all that weight, and he's always been a guy who can make really, really hard contact. He's got some speed. I was like, man, he can unlock a little more of that now that he's not carrying like 40 extra pounds. I think it ended up being like 50. He, he lost a ton of weight. That was awesome. And then, of course, the obvious one was Cedric Mullins. He was one of the first guys we added yes. to that. He started swinging only from the left, left side. And look, not every change that happens, not all of these mechanical adjustments work out. If you go and look through that list, um, there's all kinds of guys on there that like nothing came of it. Right. Like, uh, a, real quick, like Paul, De, uh, Paul DeYoung, he like tightened up his stance. Didn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, started using the whole field more and it didn't matter. Right. Like a lot of this stuff didn't matter, but that like some of these really big ones can stand out. And Cedric Mullins and Avi Garcia were the two that first came to mind where it's like, man, they made huge changes either to how they're approaching hitting. Right. That's Cedric Mullins. He's only focusing on the left side. We already knew he had speed. He just needed a way to unlock more of that. Uh, and he got kind of lucky early on in that playing time opened up, right? Because Austin Hayes got hurt. He got opportunity to start. And then, of course, with Avi Garcia, it's like a guy who's always had some talent, has shown flashes, and now he's got his body back, right? Like, Vlad Guerrero is another guy who lost a bunch of weight, looked more fit, and it turned into something, right? Uh, but Avi, it's like even more because you didn't even really have to draft him in like Yahoo leagues, right? Because you only had three outfielders. You mm -hmm. got to pick him up. So uh, those two guys together are just based on those early season things, you latch onto the ones that you think are going to work and they did. Yay. Well, <laughs> I think you also need to like, I know everybody associates Justin Mason with Cedric Mullins, but we got to get your name out there too, because can I, can I get in on that also? Oh no, I'm not putting, I'm not including you in that group. Okay. But I, I do I, think I did take him in TGFBI. I'm happy for you, but thank you. So, but yeah, I mean, Cedric Mullins, 30, 30 season and, I mean, yeah, I, I obviously had no idea that Avisio Garcia was that heavy. Now, did you project the type of season that he was going to have, or did you just think he would have a better year? You know, Avi's a really, in terms of Avi, he's a really weird guy, right? Because he's this super hard contact. He hits a ton of ground balls, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, he hits these absolute missiles between the third baseman and the shortstop over and over. I mean, he's, like, he was second place for the batting title one year, right? Uh, behind Jose Altuve. Uh, he's this, he has these crazy Babbitt fluctuations though, based on how well, like how locked in his swing is and how fit he is to be quite honest. Cause he's huge, right? Like we talk about having compact swings and, and quick to the ball. That's hard for guys that are big. Like, you know, we see Aaron judge is able to do it. Giancarlo Stan's able to do it. Avi Garcia can do it, but not at 280 pounds, right? He's not that kind of swinger. So, uh, I thought he'd do better. And I knew that like, it's hard to, I didn't project this. I knew there was sort of upside like this. I can't mm -hmm. say I picked him in every league or I can't say I never dropped him in a league or whatever based on circumstances, but that upside was always there because he's just, 
really, really athletic. If you have to think way back to when he was a tiger, they called him little Miggy, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's easy to be little compared to Miggy, even though he's a giant, but like he was little Miggy because he was this big physical specimen that was really, really athletic for his size. Yeah. And it really turned out well. I mean, people thought also he'd be in a platoon with that Brewers outfield and he ended up just taking the job and playing every day when he was healthy and really helped out your fantasy team down the stretch there too. Uh, just with, again, he had over 30 home runs this season, didn't he? Did he reach the 30? I, he got, I think he got like, I know he was 29. at 29. He finished with 29 and uh, eight stolen bases and was a top uh, 25 outfielder in most, most formats. Yeah. I mean, again, fantastic return from Vicio Garcia. Doc, who were some of the players that you want to make sure that people know that you called before the season started? So should I give you one of them or both now? You just give me go ahead and give me both. Okay. So the first, I, I'm going to beat it into the drum. It's Chris that's Bassett. Not the, that's, not, that's not the expression. All right. I, I'm going to, what, what is it? You beat, I don't know, whatever. Chris Bassett. Everybody said in 2020, oh, he got lucky. His, his ERA was 2.29, but his expected ERA was 3.79. He's due for some regression. So what did he do? He set a career high in wins with 12. Hit the best win-loss percentage in the major leagues at 75% or 750. Highest innings pitch of his career, 157.1. The lowest whip, the highest K percentage, the lowest walk percentage, and being an all-star for the first time. And probably would have had better numbers had he not had the line drive to his face, where he came back and pitched in the season when he wasn't expected to. He went five innings pitched in 22 out of his 24 starts prior to that incident. So he's as steady as they come. Somebody that rarely gets blown up and you know you'll get at least a chance for a win most times that he goes out. So I'm putting my name on him. I was very big on Matt Olson. I didn't talk talk him up a lot on the pods, but I did get a couple shares of him. Um, he cut down his K percentage from 31.4 to 16.8 this year, which is why I think we saw the big change. But Nolan Arenado, a lot of people thought the Coors effect was really going to hamper his value. And look, his numbers aren't the same that you drafted him three or four years ago as a first round pick. The average dipped to 255, but he still hit 34 homers, 105 RBIs, played 157 out of 162 games. Hard hit percentage was in line with his career average, the highest launch angle of his career. And the Cardinals, I think we saw in the final month, them winning 17 in a row, what it can look like next season. So, you know, where I got him in the fourth round in TGFBI, I think that's a great return. Yeah, and the fact that you're picking two Oakland A's, basically Eric was all in on the Oakland A's, it sounds like. and I was very big on Oakland A's, Phillies, and Cardinals. And the fact that I I heard the other day that Matt Olson actually set the MLB record for most home runs against left-handed pitching by a left-handed hitter, he set wow. it's a, so it's a he had a great season, and I think people were always kissed, like scared off about the batting average and potential strikeouts there. But I mean, he had a very very good year, and I always heard a lot of and this wasn't one analyst, but I heard I think at least three or four analysts, maybe even more this offseason when they would talk about taking the tax that Matt Olson provides. And they're like, hey, you can just get Miguel Sano, you know, at the end of your drafts. And you're going to get the same thing roughly that you're getting from Matt Olson. Well, that proved not be the case. And Matt Olson showed that he was worth that high draft pick or that higher draft pick that you took, especially at a thin position like first base, that when we like kind of look into next season, there's, as you kind of get to the back half of the top 10, it's not 
very many guaranteed good bats there. I think it's it thins out very quickly. So Matt Olson. Uh, can I ahead. can I just say one more thing? I think Matt Olson is the type of player where if you play fantasy and you just look at stats, that's one thing. But if you actually watch him play, you can see that his his the way he his approaches his swing is better than his numbers look. So that's something where it's like, hey, if he can d- cut down on his K percentage, because it was 31.4 in 2020, but normally it's around 24, 25%. So the fact that he cut it down even more to 16.8 this most recent season, I think just shows the ceiling that he has. Yeah. He's just and got I- unbelievable power, right? And it, it's, I heard that same thing, like, oh, you can get Miguel Sano later. Yeah, Miguel Sano's going to bat 220, guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, that's totally different. And his upside's different because he's not going to play 150 games. No mm-hmm. chance. Right? Like, exactly. there's a reason there's a premium on a guy like Olsen. And I love that point. It's not just, be, you, know, you can't just look at the stat sheet, right? Because, like, a ton of guys can play 60 games. This was a 162-game season. You had to look at who can play 162 games. We know Matt Olsen can play that much. And you watch these guys, it's totally different. Like Miguel Sano is a is a strikeout, you know, a strikeout machine. We know that. You watch him, you always think he's gonna strike out, right? And it's like, oh, he hit it. Oh, cool. Like that's just not the way Matt Olson looks when you watch his, him. His wrists are very quick, which is something that that draws me to him. Like when he hits a home run, his swing is just very, very quick with it. Yeah. Uh I'll quickly get to mine, Eric, if you want to pretend like you're hearing this for the first time and actually sound like you're interested. I'm just, I'm just muting myself so I don't say anything. Uh, well, if you've been listening for a long time, there were two guys that I basically touted more than most. or I, These guys were definitely touted, uh, but these were definitely players that I tried to draft as much as I could. The first player being Dylan Cease. He was somebody that I claimed would be a top 30 starting pitcher this year. Going back to talking about the core velocity belt and what that was going to do for the excess torque he was having, and it was helping, obviously, that excess torque was having pitches come out of the strike zone, and that was going to eliminate that to help keep the ball more in the strike zone. Obviously, Dylan Cease had the stuff, he just wasn't able to control it. Well, obviously, while it's still not great, the stuff was a lot more under control this this season. He actually, among American League pitchers this season, well, first his stats, 13 and 7, 391 ERAs, 13 wins were tied for third in the American League. His he was also third in strikeouts, second in case per nine at 12.1. And according to Yahoo, he was the ninth ranked starting pitcher. He looked like the real deal. Obviously, there are some blow up games in there. The 391 ERA shows that, but he really looked like he took a step forward uh to what we can hopefully expect from being a, a good frontline starter for this loaded White Sox team. You look at his K percentage, which jumped up from 17.3% to 31.9% this season. Obviously, the walk percentage still is not great. It's above league average, but it dipped from 13.3% to 9.6%. His expected ERA is actually lower than his ERA that he finished with. Exit velocity is right around normal. Uh, This is, again, I just, Dylan Cease put it all together this year. He's got a great four-pitch mix, and... I was really happy that I made sure I got a bunch of Dylan Cease everywhere, especially in the beginning of when people were doing drafts. He was kind of going near undrafted. Towards the end of draft season, he was getting elevated some, but still he way outperformed his ADP. And I was really happy that I was able to get him as many places as I did. The other one being Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And there was two people in the Vlad camp. You were either in on Vlad 
or you're out on Vlad. Obviously, he was going as a third round pick, third, fourth round pick. And people were just like, hey, his, his launch angle is too bad. He hits too many ground balls. Obviously, that ground ball percentage is a problem. But what I did kind of and, and Scott kind of touched on this when he was talking about looking at, you know, weight loss potentially or, or you know, changes in guys swings and approaches is Vlad underwent stuff that during last season. And I think people thought that Vlad Jr. went from being big to this season all of a sudden changing, but that's not the case. He actually lost 32 pounds throughout last season. And it showed in his overall profile. If you look at the season's first 21 games in 2020, he slashed 222, 292, 383 with four doubles and three homers. The last 39 games he played, he slashed 286, 351, 507, nine doubles, two triples, and six home runs. And one, obviously the two triple, I don't think he could have legged that out at 282 pounds, which is what he started with at the start of summer camp in 2020. And again, you just, even if you look at his swing, it's a completely different swing. When he starts out the season, it's a lot more stiff, upright. It's kind of like he's hacking at the ball just because he's not athletic and he can't fully get into his swing. But when you look at the end of how he finished his season, it's a lot more athleticism in his swing. There's a lot more plate coverage, adjustability, and bat speed, which obviously is creating a lot more power and force. I think that helped increase his launch angle, get rid of some of the ground balls. And with what I saw at the end of last year, him shedding that weight, I figured was carrying over to this year to have him be the breakout that he was supposed to be. And I got him in a bunch of places. He actually won me a, the one of Bubba's best ball analyst league. He was one of my picks there. And I had him in our home league. Took me, him and Bichette, as uh, two of my first three picks, took me into the championship. Just didn't pull it out there. But at the end of the day... Uh, wait, 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 wait. Who'd you lose to? We're not, we're not talking about that. Anyway. Okay, okay. Uh, anyway, Vlad Jr., Talking about him next year might be a whole different story as a first-round pick, but as a third, fourth-round pick, he definitely delivered and then some number one player in Roto this season. So those were definitely my two big ones. Uh, Scott, I want to go back to you now because now we got to get sad. we got to get depressing. Debbie Downer time. Let's talk about uh, some of our losses. A couple of players that maybe you were really in on that just did not perform to what you expected. Who are some of those guys? Yeah, so... This isn't a guy that was like super high on my list or whatever, but a guy I took in almost every single draft and that made me feel really, really smart. And I'm probably going to get burned by him again is uh, Luis Arias of the Twins. Mm -hmm. I cannot uh, resist guys with a huge hit tool, right? So <clears throat> when I see a guy that has like, you know, if you were to grade it like a 60, 70 hit tool, heck, even a 55, I'm like, yes, give me some of that, right? Because if you can, as long as you can hit the ball, good things can happen, right? That's one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of like a Miguel Sano. Can't hit the ball. Can't hit the, like a strikeout's always bad, right? But you can make good things on uh, even soft liners. So Luis Arias is a guy, I, I always, I keep expecting him to take that next step and just drive that ball a little further. I don't see, like my brain wants to tell me that why can't he be what Jake Cronenworth is now, mm -hmm. right? Like he doesn't get the same lift on the ball, but he just pout, like he does actually hit the ball not super hard, like his average exit velocity always stinks. But if you watch, he, he hits a ton of line drives. He hits gaps all the time. Um, but not only could he not stay healthy, uh, he just never has made that next up of turning those line drive singles into line drive doubles. He just hasn't been able to do that yet. And uh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge sucker for it. And so, you know, I picked Luis Arias because he's the most obvious example of these high hit tool guys that can't take the next step. But there's several of them, like across baseball, that I 
latch onto and just can't let go. He's probably just the one at the top of my mind because I think I drafted him in every major draft that I did. Yeah, I mean, you got to think, Luis Arraya. You were like, if I need help in batting average, he's a contender to be the the AL batting champ. And that's what I like. You can get batting average late with him and stabilize it. And I think that's a lot of strategy a lot of people used. And definitely did not deliver to what we thought he would. And you said you're going back to him next year, you think, too, right? Oh, I mean, probably, right? Like, give, give, me an all, give me a full off season to, like, just look at projections, look at his hit tool. I'll probably fall for it again. I'll be like, yeah, but this time, this time. And I'll, like, pretend to slide him down my list a little because his ADP will be lower than it probably was the last, you know, year or two. So I'm just going to be a sucker for it again, right? Like, hopefully this time it can't actually hurt me. But like in more than one league, I expected him to be my middle infielder, like several leagues. He was supposed to be my middle infielder and I was super happy about it. I, in fact, had punted that position early throughout the draft because I was like, I'm going to get my guy a rise. It's going to be fine. And that can kill. It's like a drug. It's like a drug. It is. And, you know, it's it's one of these things where we're all going to do this in draft season. And sometimes it works great and you feel like a genius. And sometimes it works horribly, horribly wrong. And you look like an idiot. But you'll be like, I don't need to pick that spot because I got my guy, right? Mm-hmm. There's people who like last year with catcher. They were like, oh, Dalton Varsho, though. He's my guy because I think he can get double-digit home runs, double-digit steals. Didn't work out that way. We saw a lot of good things at the end of the season. But like Arias was one of those guys for me that that's going to be my middle infield spot. And in a deep league, like an NFBC style league, I can ignore middle infield because I'll get him late. And it, it doesn't sound like much, but that stuff can set you back right away especially because I clung to him until like June. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. And I think it's one of the hardest things in this sport too, is like, it's such a long season and you're waiting for guys to do something is knowing when to cut bait with them and knowing, all right, I've, I've had enough. Like you're not, obviously it's not happening this year. Or if you do that and then you drop them and then the last month, like Garrett Hampson comes to mind a couple of years ago when he went on that home run stolen base binge at the end of the year. And, uh, yeah, that's why fantasy baseball is such a stressful sport because it's so long and it's so frustrating. Got to be so involved, uh, and I definitely feel that frustration from Scott. So I feel that right there for sure. Doc, who are did you want to talk about that you were wrong about here? So the first guy, and I, I'm willing to eat this, is Max Scherzer, and I kind of compared him to Roy Halladay. We're going on 36. He came off the wor- in 2020, the worst ERA, 3.74, that he had since 2012. Um, you know, the injuries were starting to pile up, some neck issues. And we saw Roy Halladay at age 36 have his worst season in the majors when he had a 6.82 ERA. I didn't think Scherzer would have one nearly that high, but I thought it would be in the high threes, low fours. And what does he do? He comes back in 2021. He has a 15-4 and four record with a 2.46 ERA. It's the best whip of his career at 0.86. And he just has one of those Max Scherzer stretches with the Dodgers where he looks nearly unhittable. And I certainly thought that the injuries and the innings pitched, you know, leading up to this season, he had thrown 2,400 innings. So I thought that this was going to be the year that he tailed off. I was taking, you know, the Aaron Nolas and the Walker Buellers ahead of him, but Max Scherzer, once again, probably as consistent as they come when it's starting pitching. Yeah, I, I mean, there are a lot of people that were eating that L, honestly. That with, I mean, I definitely did not draft any Max Scherzer this year, and that was one of the ones I was going to bring up as well. 
He, I don't, I think he didn't, he finished, he might, was he the number two starting pitcher behind Corbin Burns or I know it, de- I guess depends on the scoring, but I mean, in, in points league, he was number one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was absolutely just dominant, looked like his old self. And maybe he's one of those guys that just kind of like you saw with Adam Wainwright this year. Adam Wainwright was, you know, and I know Eric dropped him in his TGFBI. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, but he's just someone that just seems like he's going to keep doing it. He's going to f- change his approach and figure out what he needs to do. Scherzer still throws in the mid nineties and, you know, he does give up home runs, but he has been performing really well and he's on the Dodgers team. Well, he's a free agent now, but after the season, but he was on a Dodgers team that's going to give him offense and they want all, including last night in the wild card game, they've won all 12 of his starts since he's been with the Dodgers that, that it's pretty wild. They have not lost since he's took the mound for him. So, uh, but uh, that was one of them. I'll just add another one in here. Jake Diekman was one of my calls for, I thought he was going to lead the Oakland bullpen. And you looked at his numbers from last year. He was the best reliever in that bullpen. And I thought that he would be one of the best late round guys to get for saves. And I drafted him all lot of teams, and he pretty much just did nothing. And I dropped; I had to drop him pretty much everywhere. You were probably really hyped, too, after the first week when Trevor Rosenthal was out oh, for the season. I tweeted something about it, and I was like, I hope <laughs> you listened to me on Jake Deep. <laughs> you were ready to take your victory lap before he even pitched just because of uh, oh, yeah. an injury to somebody else. I mean, to be fair, like Deepman wasn't horrible. Like he's not—he's not bad. He just has stretches where he'll give up like five earned in point one innings. Yeah, and I think that they like him in certain roles. They liked him in the setup role, and they liked him pitching to lefties. So um, I, I get it. Again, it's you know he's a lefty, so you know it's hard. I feel like unless you're super dominant, a lot of times more lefties not going to be a closer just because of so many right-handed batters that they're going to face. So. Uh, but I mean, again, you look at his, his slider got had a 121 batting average against this season, and his four seamer 244. His two most used pitches were very effective, and uh, I mean, his slider got a 47% whiff rate. So I, I don't know. Obviously, it didn't work out. And then I'll also throw in I had Eugenio Suarez in TGFBI this year, and he was absolutely brutal. <laughs> he was god awful. I, I know I expected. He did give you a lot of home runs, but didn't give you anything else. Christian Yelich, I know, bit you, Doc. And I, but that wasn't even I, that wasn't even going to be the guy I took the second L on. Yeah, but he's he's another guy that I think people thought might bounce back, and he finished with nine home runs. Yeah, nine home runs, which is mind-boggling to me. Anyway, any last players you guys want to bring up before we close the book on our victory laps and our losses for the 2021 season? I want to talk about one guy, uh, it, and <clears throat> I'm cheating a little because this isn't actually a uh, a preseason one, but I think it's really important to like adjust while you're in season. And a guy who started out so hot and then everybody discarded was Akil Badu. Uh, mm-hmm. Akil Badu started out, he was this wild free swinger striking out like 40% of the time, but he hit a couple big home runs uh, and that was really fun. And then everyone discards him because like, oh, yep, they figured him out. He's striking out. Then the second month of the season, he completely changes his hitting profile. He goes from a three percent mm-hmm. walk rate and a forty percent strikeout rate to a twenty four percent walk rate and a twenty four percent strikeout rate. It was wild, and like the the victory lap doesn't come from like me picking him up originally and holding him the whole time. That would be a terrible idea, right? Because he was he was pretty much worthless for three weeks in terms of fantasy. But 
you keep watching these guys. If if you have a guy that, that you really like or that you think there's something there, like I watch his at bats and I was like, I know he's striking out a lot, but there's there's a lot of athleticism here. I'm starting to see adjustments. I'm watching him in May thinking like, man, these look like better at bats. I then go to the stats. I'm like, oh, because they are. They are way better. And that's when I was like, okay, now do it. Like, or get him on your watch list now, right? So, uh, I mean, if I want to talk about preseason L's, it's guys like George Springer. I always fall for this. Like, oh, the injury will get better. And like, if George Springer gives us 130 games, it'll be awesome. And like, yeah, he was good when he played, which was never, right? right. I got to stop falling for these. Like, what if he plays 140 games? There's so many guys like, well, what if he plays 140? I mean, it's going to be the Mondesi problem that everyone's going to have. Well, if he plays 130 games, okay, what if he doesn't? What if he does this? And I mean, how many people kept Mondesi the whole season? Yeah, yeah that's I mean, true. I, <laughs> they got I, nothing. I mean, yeah, because you, you spent such draft capital on you're like, you're afraid. You're like, if he plays, he's going to win me stolen bases by himself. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. I don't think anybody's going to draft him. I hopefully again. Well, I, I want to see where his ADP is after this year. Like, well, they, he, they came out and said he might not be an everyday player. So I feel like. There's no way he can be a top three, four round pick anymore, right? Until uh, someone projects him to steal 70 bases. That's true. <laughs> He's going to be one of those guys I feel like that will start out with a low ADP and then as draft season gets closer and he's playing and he looks like he's healthy, that he's going to get elevated. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But it's a good point with a, with Akil Badu and the fact that he looked like the season, early season story, then he slumped. Many people just were like, all right, this is a flash in the pan, but he made the adjustments and he really helped out your fantasy team down the stretch. But all right, let's get to the four. Wait, wait, can I, can I, can I, can I take one more L? If you want to go take as many L's as you want, Doc, go ahead. I, I know, I know you'd get a kick out of this. I was really wrong about Hunter Dozier. He was somebody that I got in all of my leagues, made it finish with a triple slash of 216, 285, 394. And I looked at his 2020 season. He did a career high walk percentage, 14.5%, went down in 2021 to 7.9. He had the highest K percentage in a full season this year, 28.4%. He had a career high launch angle in 2020. So there was a lot of metrics that were looking good. I also thought he could give you some cheap stolen bases. He had four stolen bases in 44 games in 2020. So I thought maybe he'd get in that 10 to 12 range. He had five in 144. So just very disappointing. Thought Ben Attendee would help. I thought a healthy Mondesi, he'd have some more RBI opportunities. But I mean, just, and, and I mean, he was a later pick, but just somebody that I could have not been more wrong about. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, I'll just throw some names out there as well. I know we didn't bring these up, but some guys that if we're talking about L's that I'm sure many people took as well. Jesus Lazardo was one people person that everybody was talking about making that next yeah. step. He was awful. Aaron Nola was not the pitcher you drafted. I'm not saying people took an L on him, but he definitely did not help you down the stretch. Yeah. Blake Snell obviously was an L. Uh, oh, I should have I should have taken a W for that one. Uh, yeah, but Dylan Bundy, Tyler Anderson, Dylan Bundy (laughs) might be the biggest L 
of the entire season. Anybody that was in on Dylan Bunny immediately uh, was not rewarded for, for drafting him anywhere. Some hitters, Glaber Torres, DJ LeMay was a little bit more of the injury. Eddie Rosario really fell off. Uh, he had seven home runs this season. So, I mean, wow. there were a lot of guys. He was, that, hurt. He was hurt a lot. Plesak. Yeah, Plesak. Yeah, Plesak. Yeah, Jeff Bellinger. McNeil. Jeff McNeil. Pretty much every Met. Like, <laughs> yeah, most, yeah. most Mets. That was just like an L, right? Like people, people like Tom Smith, they liked. Uh, some people were like, oh, but now we can, you know, we can get JD and it'll be great. Like, no, it, I mean, it all worked out terribly, except for Javier Baez. Weirdly enough, and even I, I, that was sort of an L because he had like a two, like what? What he finished with like a two twenty, something like that, like some crazy low batting average. He got the counting stats, but like it, that was that was a weird. They're like the they're like the Bizarro Giants in that like everything went wrong instead of everything going right, and they had all these pieces that should have worked out, and then they just didn't. Instead of the Giants who had like all these pieces that probably shouldn't work out, and then they did. Yeah. And uh, if you're a Mets fan, I feel like that's just every year. It's just another year, same thing. So <laughs> glad I'm not a Mets fan. But let's get to the fun part of the show. And let's starting off with the question of the week. Our question of the week is, of course, sponsored by Monkey Knife Fight. Triple Play Fantasy is an official affiliate to Monkey Knife Fight, the fastest growing sports betting site in the United States. New depositors receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 using promo code Triple Play. So as Nike says, just do it. All right. Our question this week is if you played in the big leagues and I'm saying you have a three-pitch mix that you're attacking hitters with, what's your three-pitch mix? So we'll start with, we'll start with uh, Mr. Chu down there. What's your three-pitch mix if you're in the big leagues? So uh, I like to make pitchers in video games that I have, and I refuse to use pitches that are common, uh, even though they're yes. good. So yes. uh, it would be a knuckle. Right. And I'm not okay. talking like the R.A. Dickey, like hard knuckle. I'm talking that Tim Wakefield butterfly. Oh, that, that, that joint that moves around. Yeah, that, that guy. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, All right. I like it. At, like at a smooth, like 55 to 60, right? Like I want that pitch. That's okay. got to be in my back pocket. Uh, I want a knuckle curve, like that A.J. Burnett, like knuckle curve. Ooh, yes. <laughs> uh, and then I've never seen this pitch actually work out. And I think I only like it because I want to work out the screwball. Like the that reverse, was, uh, I can't, I can't take, I can't, I can't use this now. <laughs> like I want those. They're all so goofy, and I felt like, man, you probably can't do this as a starter for very long. But wouldn't it be so cool to like be this reliever? Because Tim Wakefield was actually a, a reliever and a closer for a little while. You mm -hmm. come out and like you've been watching these guys all throw like ninety, ninety-five, a hundred, and then I come out just floating crap at you all <laughs> like all the ninth inning. Like how do you catch up to that? It's like you played real baseball and then had to go like play wiffle ball. Like your timing's way off. I just think it'd be so much fun to just throw absolute junk. I think so. Yeah, you picked the three. Like, there's one pitch I'm glad you didn't say. It's my favorite. Hey, pitch. Is the Ephus? Not the Ephus, but uh, I like that. I mean, you would be the most funky. I feel like you have to be a reliever. Uh, but you'd be the most funky reliever with that. And they stopped throwing. They stopped throwing screwballs because of uh, it showing direct like how bad it is for your elbow, right? That's why. Oh I yeah. I mean, how could it not be? Like the way they're getting that ball to move, you're like, ooh, there's some elbow ligaments that you're sacrificing for that kind of spin. Yeah. Uh, but I love that three pitch mix. Have you have you made a pitcher with those three pitches? Oh yeah, it's great because they don't have real ligaments. So <laughs> <laughs> you can just do whatever Somebody you want. Somebody gets hurt, you just turn off the game system. They're <laughs> yeah. back to normal! <laughs> Yay! 
we're all back. But it, it's great because like you have that Tim Wakefield uh, wind up too. So like everything comes out from like anywhere from like seventy to fifty, right? And you've got that Tim Wakefield wind up because you can't do a full wind up if you're throwing that slow knuckle, right? Because it's just too awkward. Your arm speed would be way off. So he would just like stand there, like like Bartolo Colon in those commercials when he's pitching to himself, just kind of standing up, like straight yeah. looking at you and just going like this. Basically, it was beautiful. Just like. Just like just pulling his arm back and throwing it like he's playing catch. It was it's awesome. I love that. I love it, Doc. I know you. He took one of yours, but what were your your pitch mix? I mean, I'm audibleing and I'm picking ones he didn't pick. So the first one, David, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Craig Kimbrell rising fastball. Oh uh, yeah, in his prime. In his prime. In his prime. Not even like a a Chad Bradford. We have to throw a submarine. It goes up. Like somehow he threw a fastball that had vertical movement on it. So that's going to be my first. The second is going to be a two seam. Got to get a little movement on it. And then I'm throwing a slider. My guy's just throwing gas. It's just, or is he topping out at 99 with his four seam riser? Is he doing 92 with a two seam or is he hitting 88 with a slider with movement? I think Craig Kimbrell, when he played for the Braves, I think that's the nastiest I've ever seen a reliever. I remember his, one of his first outings against the Brewers when he just completely blew them away. And and I remember, I think I called you into my room when we lived. Uh, this is when we still like we're in high school. I, and I, Eric, Eric, I'm going to make this my Facebook status. No, I didn't do that. You did. I said, I said, Eric, I was like, have you ever seen a reliever this nasty? I was like, this is nuts. I was like, I've never seen someone look, make someone look like minor league hitters. I was like, this is unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, I agree. That was, that was a good mix. So, I have I love the Johan Santana fastball changeup because okay. I loved watching Johan Santana pitch and that his fastball changeup combo was unreal. Same exact arms like arm slot, arm angle, movement of his arm. They literally showed it side by side. You could not tell the difference between which pitch he was throwing. And then I'm throwing my favorite pitch in there, and that's the slurve. The slider curveball. Yeah. I love the slurve. Yes. Anytime I created a player on MVP Baseball 2004 or 2005, I would always make sure they threw a slurve. And I just think it's they need to bring it back because I'm I love that pitch. Slider curveball combo is nasty, and that's definitely going to be in my pitcher's arsenal. What I love about picking like that circle change from Santana, like when you like are holding a baseball and just playing with your hand, like what are the pitches you always just kind of grip, right? Like mm-hmm. you might try to grab like a little knuckleball and like play around it. I feel like circle change is like one of the first things I do when I grab it. I'm like, oh yeah, it feels like this. And you can just have like the circle change. It's all, it's like, it's so fun. And it was just nasty. Like Johan, yeah. when he was dominant, oh, like I, I wasn't watching a ton of baseball when Pedro played, but like I did get to see Johan throw that just disgusting change up that everybody looked silly. Like how many, how did someone not tear their ACL like swinging at that thing? Because they would just put everything they had to hit that gas and then like they'd be done with their swing and then they'd hear the like, like in the catcher's mitt and just realize they looked like an idiot. It was that, was it the 17 strikeout game was against the Rangers that he had that one outing where he just come, that you saw it in full effect where he was literally, they didn't know, they like they weren't waiting on one. It seemed like it seemed like they didn't know when to to swing for the fastball, swing for the changeup. And that was, that was Santana's prime. And as a Twins fan, I haven't been able to watch a pitcher like him, obviously, since in that organization. But he, uh, yeah, that fastball changeup, one of the best combos that I've ever watched for sure. But honorable, let's mention, get... to for- honorable mention to a fork ball, which we didn't name. Oh, Ooh. good call, Doc. Good if call. If I had picked a fastball, it would have been like a split finger or 
you know, because I'm throwing all junk, it'd be that fork. Oh, those are nasty. Did we miss any besides that? Was there another one? I'm trying to think. I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't think of any. I mean, there's like a splitter, but I feel like yeah, that's... Yeah, split finger, nice. fork. Like, they're just different speeds, really. Um, no, because I think we did... We like I like docks with like, the high, like all the high-velocity stuff that just like moves like crazy. Like, sort of like what I always want Dustin May to be, right? Yeah. Like, just throwing 100, 102, everything moves, everything ducks away, and like no one can touch it. I'll, I'll only last half a season, but that half season will be dirty. (laughs) Oh, it'll just be, it'll be pure, pure filth. Like the first time we saw like Corbin Burns, like when he came up as a reliever, like that kind of stuff, just everything's gross. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. All right. Let's get to the last segment of the night. And it's going to be our game of the week. Make sure we don't get copyrighted. I've learned my lesson here. So. Our game of the week is an old triple play favorite. We always bring it back every once in a while. It's called the Twitter follower game. So how it works is you guys are going head to head. I've got seven of them. So that way there should be one winner decided. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a name and you have to guess their Twitter following. Whoever's the closest gets the point. And uh, it should be easy since it's just two of you. So it shouldn't be too much math on my end. That was not something I excelled with in school. Let's and the th- the theme is it's playoff edition, so all these players are currently playing in the playoffs right now. Okay. All right. Number one, Gavin Sheets, who is at Clean Sheets twenty four. Really cool name. So we'll start with Doc first. What's your answer? Nine thousand. Scott, I'm gonna go fifteen thousand. Doc coming in hot, really close, 8909. Wow, that is really close. Yeah, that, wow. I, I was almost like you cheated. Nah, I just feel like <laughs> you would follow Gavin Sheets. Yeah, all right. Our next one, Shane McClanahan, who is at sugar underscore Shane M. And I'm only reading those two because they had really cool Twitter handles. Those are the other cool ones. ones. Yeah. I thought, I thought all these seven would have cool handles. No, nah, I wish, but just these two. So we'll start with Scott. Oh, uh, see, he's he's in the majors. He's somewhat well known. I'll go like thirteen, thirteen thousand. Doc, you say he's really well known. He's well known to fantasy baseball people. I don't yeah. think your average person knows him. Um, I could do the easy route and go higher, but I'm going to go eleven nine. So you're going under. I'm going under that. Well, you were smart to go under. He, believe it or not, he has four thousand five hundred sixty-four followers. What? Yeah, I was shocked too when I saw that because he's like a really high up and coming name. And I guess it is Tampa, and for whatever reason, they have this great team, and nobody cares. So I guess Let, it makes some true. sense. Let's remember this conversation because if they go to the World Series and everybody sees who he is and how nasty he is, I'll bet you that number triples by the end of the postseason. They're, they might have the best future rotation that people actually don't know about. Yeah. Well, like it seems like everybody knows but the people in Tampa, right? Like Except yeah. for the people in Tampa St. Pete because they don't care. Like, right. like Your average baseball fan doesn't know Luis Patino, Shane right. Boz, McClanahan, and they could be like – of the best rotation in two years. Yeah, a very smart organization with how they're developing pitching there. And they don't pay to keep people like Blake Snell, as you saw. All right, our next player, Zach McKinstry. Doc, how many followers do you have? I feel like Zach McKinstry probably has more being in L.A. I'll say 
16-4. I keep getting burned by these double-digit numbers, so let's see if I can get burned by a single-digit number. Uh, I'll say 7. 7,000. So 16-4 and 7,000. Scott, you're on the board. 10-1. Yes! <laughs> he just crossed the double-digit threshold there. So we got 2-1 to one game going to question 4, starting with Scott Brandon Crawford. He's been in San Francisco for a long time. Uh, people, you know, they they love him. There's plenty of people in San Francisco. I'll say like seventeen thousand. Doc, thirty-eight thousand. Well, Doc, you get the point. You both are way off. Believe it or not, Brandon Crawford has three hundred and seventy-six thousand three hundred followers. You know, good for wow. Brandon Crawford. <laughs> He's a borderline. Well, I, 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 I can't imagine what he tweets that, that gets that much interaction. Jeez. Yeah, he's got a third of a way to a million. So he's he's a, a got a big following there. So our next player is Phil Matone, relief pitcher for the Houston Astros. And we're back to Doc, who's got a three. I, where, to where, one where, lead. Where, where, where do you come up with these names, David? I, just I was know. looking at the Astros lineup. And I was like, right, who? I was like, I don't want to do like Correa. I was, like, I'm trying to do like lesser known guys. I was like, I don't want to do any. I, I like it. I like it. I, I just yeah. don't know where you're gonna go with these names. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna go 7,500. 7,500, Scott. See, I keep thinking that like one of these guys is gonna have this like alter internet ego that's like <laughs> hilarious or like happens to be like dating like a like an Instagram model or something uh, that, <laughs> that blew up his count. But I don't know if it's this guy because I don't. I don't know anything about him so i'll go five thousand and doc what did you say seventy five hundred all right scott gets the point he's got 1.5k which means we all have more followers than phil matone yeah hey <laughs> more than an mlb reliever is he is he verified uh I, i'm pretty sure i have to double check but i'm pretty sure i remember him being verified when i looked him up all right so doc has a three, three to, two. to two lead our next player for the Boston Red Sox, Hunter Renfro. And now back to Scott leading this one off. wonder how many people like quickly added him thinking it was the other Hunter Renfro. It was like, Google, <laughs> when you Google Hunter, like they both pop up and you're like, this, this is freaking hilarious that they have him both. Just, just like padding his numbers like a little extra. Someone's like, ah, screw it. I'll just do both of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll say like... Uh, 22,000. No, that's so high. I'm going to lose. You can, you can, you can change it. No, 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 no. I'm keeping it. All right. Uh, I want to say 44,000. Oh, so Doc's going higher. Even higher. All right. Well, the correct answer is 14.4 K. So you way overshot Doc and Scott is able to reap the benefits. We've got a three to three game, which comes down to the decider. Jeez, I shouldn't have had a three to one lead. That's all. You're about a Golden State Warriors at Doc. Here we go. I'm, I'm telling everyone a three to one lead is never safe. Our last I start out the last one for the Milwaukee Brewers who broke his hand. Devin Williams, Doc. How many followers does he have? Devin Williams, eleven thousand. All right, Scott for the win. Man, they had it. They had a playoff run, and he was like a big part of that last year. Scott, don't let him win. I don't I'm trying. Want I'm trying, David. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say uh, 8,000. 
Oh, uh, you're probably right. You're probably right. It's probably like 7,500. The correct answer is. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me, allow me to, to fully draw it. The correct answer is. Oh, that means that he won. 8,783 followers. Mr. Scott Chu at the buzzer wins the game. Just far more winning than I did in my fantasy baseball uh, in 2021. So I'm glad I have this to rest my head on. And a three to one lead, too. I, I'm trying to tell everyone three to one is dangerous. It, it, the was... relievers will get you, too, because like they either like like they got some, but like how many did they get? And honestly, I kept waiting for that. Like one person who, I mean, I guess it was Brandon Crawford who for no reason has like 10 times, like what any of these guys has. <laughs> so I, I actually remember seeing Devin Williams, Twitter, like before the season started, he had like 7,000 and I was like, okay, he's definitely going to get more. And when I, when I said 11,000, I was like, it's not like he did really well this season. Like I definitely overshot it. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he had a decent year, but definitely not the rookie of the year type of year that he had in his first year. But on that note, again, Scott with the win, 1-0, taking down the dock. Always a great thing when that happens. But on that note, Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. It was absolutely a ton of fun for both of us to have you on here. And we really appreciate you giving us your time. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it gave me a reason to put on, I don't know if you noticed, my space dinosaur, my oh, space dinosaur shirt. Because, like... People don't usually see me during the day. Like other humans don't interact with me besides like my kids. So I was like, man, I got to put on my, my A plus t-shirt game because I feel like if you have a dinosaur t-shirt, like a space dinosaur t-shirt, you wear it every time you think people are going to see you. I need to get a space Why else do you dinosaur. Buy it, right? I, I need one now. That Now that I see it, I'm missing out. Uh, can you let our followers know first where they can find you on Twitter with one of the best names in the Twitter game? And then also all the great stuff you're doing and uh, where they can find your written work, all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> you can find me on Twitter at if the chew fits. So it's if the C H U fits. Uh, when you got a name like Chew, you just use puns constantly, yeah. right? <laughs> so uh, you can find a lot of my written stuff. It's over at Pitcher List. Uh, I managed the going deep section there. I actually write the. I was writing the batter's box during the season. Uh, over the off season, I'm going to be working on a project where uh, we do a ton of research pieces. Like a ton of stuff where we're going to have some data scientists like dive into numbers. We're going to work on all that stuff. So keep an eye out for that. And otherwise, I'll be doing podcasts over um, on the Pitcher List podcast network uh, called Hacks and Jacks. We talk mostly about hitters because there's these other nerds at Pitcher List that talk about pitching, I guess. But uh, I mostly talk about hitting. So we'll be doing that every other week during the offseason. Yeah, and great guy. Great follow on Twitter. Does great work if you've not checked him out. Again, make sure you go check out his Twitter page and follow him. He's right at the 2,000 mark. You're, I believe you're just under. Like, you, got, you got more than Phil Matone. Yes. That's what, yeah, so make sure you get him get to that 2K, man. He needs it. He's a great follow, great analyst, and does great stuff over at Pitcher List. So make sure you're following, Scott, if you're not already. For everybody that watches or listens to Triple Play Fantasy every week, we appreciate you guys more than you know. And next week, we'll have another great guest and we'll be diving into some off-season content. So make sure you stay tuned for that fun episode. But until then, everybody stay safe out there. Enjoy the playoffs. And we're going to make like a bread truck and we're going to haul some fun. Catch you guys. Bye.